If you have your Bibles, open up to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And while you're turning there, let me pray for us, but pray with me again in your heart. Father, I pray that for these next few minutes that you would draw near to us through your word, that it would truly be you, Holy Spirit, speaking through me to all of us. Make me just a faithful mouthpiece. Pour your truth through me. And would you protect us from the evil one, the one that would come and snatch the word away from our hearts, from our minds, from our lives? Would you even protect us from small distractions, thinking about what we're going to eat for lunch or anything that might distract us from what you're trying to say to us? Lord Jesus, you are uh, the great physician. You're the physician of souls. You know all of us uh, intimately. You know us better than we know ourselves You know where we have spiritual aches and pains and bruises, where we need you to minister to us. And so we are inviting you, holy God, draw near this morning, uh, make us aware, speak to us, convict us, encourage us, make us into the men and women of faith that you want us to be. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, we're going to look at two famous verses here this morning. So let me read them. Philippians chapter 4, starting in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, we're going to talk about anxiety this morning. We're going to talk about worry. And I just want to make a brief comment at the beginning. Um, A lot of people, worry, I would say, is a sin that is very prevalent in our culture, inside and outside of the church, and on the campus and off the campus. And a lot of times what happens today, if somebody is struggling with a lot of anxiety, is the very first thing would be to go to a counselor and or a doctor and be prescribed medicine. And I'm not really going to talk about that this morning, okay? But I want to say this by way of introduction. I don't think, and I don't think the Bible teaches, that all medicine to address anxiety is a sinful thing. You get some kind of hardcore, ultra-white, right-wing conservative Christians, I guess, sometimes say, well, you should never take medicine for that. That's an interesting theory. It's not in the Bible. Uh, But much of our culture sometimes, that's their only methodology to address worry, is to run straight for medicine. And So here's just an interesting fact before we dive into what the Word says. The first psychiatric drugs in America were approved by the FDA in the mid-1950s. And and they had one to address anxiety, uh, a type of sedative. They kind of marketed it, I believed, as emotional aspirin. And in the right time, in the right place, in the right dose for the right people, I think that can be helpful for some people. But I would just say this. I wonder... I wonder how people, and especially Christians, dealt with worry and anxiety for the previous thousand years of human history before we had that. And that's why I want to go to the Word this morning. Because if you are struggling with worry and anxiety, I'm not saying you should never see a counselor talk to a doctor about some type of medicine that may help. What I am saying for all of us, the first place that we ought to run is to God and His Word. Okay? And even if maybe there is something going on chemically, that says, you know what, I should try some type of medicine to help. Again, that's not sinful in and of itself. That shouldn't say, I'll just address this 
in a physical way, in a chemical way, and throughout the Word of God. The Word of God should always be central to our life in every area, and certainly in the way that we deal with worry and anxiety. So, uh, just three quick points this morning, and the first would be this. I want us to define what worry really is, and what I'm going to argue from the Scriptures, that worry is really a form of pride. It may not seem that way at first, but worry is really a form of pride. Okay, keep your finger here in Philippians 4. We're going to flip around just a little bit this morning. If you flip over to Matthew chapter 6, this is Jesus' probably most famous teaching on worry. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, listen to what Jesus says. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing. So we've got the greatest two teachers here in the world of all time. The Lord Jesus Christ himself and Paul the Apostle. And both of them are saying, don't worry, period, full stop. There's no exceptions clause. If you're single and you're sick of being single and you just can't find a spouse anywhere, it's okay to worry then. Just don't worry other times. Right? If you're already married and now you wish you were single again, that's understandable. You're allowed to worry about that. No, there's no exceptions clause. Jesus and Paul both tell us, all worry is sin. Don't do it. Now, I think mo- probably some of us remember the old Bob Newhart skit on Saturday Night Live where a woman did go to see a counselor about a form of anxiety, and he said, I got two words for you. Stop it. Okay? That's not the most helpful Christian advice you can give. Just, hey, stop it. Don't do it. It's not that easy. I've, I heard Andy Stanley preaching one time. One of the things he said is, he doesn't know anybody, and neither do I. Whoever say, you know, I haven't worried in a long time. Maybe Monday morning I'm going to pencil in about 30 minutes to get some good worry in. Worry is not something we plan to do. It feels like something that sneaks up on us and attacks us like the flu. I didn't want to worry, but I did. But even there, we can't say it's not my fault. Because Paul and Jesus both treat it like a sin. Now let me give a little bit more helpful, hopefully, definition to what worry is. Because there is an appropriate type of concern. There's a way to feel heavy about something, be really concerned with something that can seem similar to worry, and yet it's not. Look back in Philippians chapter 4 and skip down to verse 10. So this is four verses after what Paul has just written about anxiety. And look at what he says in verse 10. Philippians 4.10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received, excuse me, revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. He's praising them. He's saying, you guys were concerned for me. You wanted to send me money. You were concerned. It's good to be concerned. It's sin to be worried. What's the difference? Here's the essential difference. Concern is about something that before God you do have a stewardship for. You do have a responsibility for, and you're trying to be faithful, right? If you have young children, you're trying to figure out what are we going to do? Are we going to homeschool them? Are we going to send them to public or private? I'm concerned. It's a big decision. That's good. It is a big decision. You ought to be concerned. Worry is when oftentimes you are taking responsibility for something that's not really your concern. Well, I want to guarantee the results that my kid definitely gets a scholarship to go to college. You can't guarantee that. That's out of your hands. You can plan for it. You can pray for it. You can't guarantee it. And if you feel like that burden is all on your back, it'll turn into worry. Be concerned. Don't be worried. Okay? Worry essentially, we would never say this out loud, but suddenly, here's what worry says. I feel like in this situation, I'm God. It's all on my back. It's all up to me. If I don't come through, nothing good will happen. Now you're worried. 
And it's crushing. Guys, listen, part of what I want to say to us this morning, because it's what God says to us, it's not just that worry is sinful. It's that worry is bad for you. Worry will hurt you. And oh, by the way, it doesn't even work. There's all these reasons that we should jettison and say, I don't want this to be a part of my life. Now, what I said at the beginning is worry is a form of pride. And you may look in Philippians and say, where are you getting that from? Well, I'm actually not getting that from Philippians. Keep your finger in Philippians. Flip over to the right this time to 1 Peter. One of the other greatest teachers of all time. 1 Peter. And let's look at what he has to say about worry. 1 Peter chapter 5. And let's start in verse 6. 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time He may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on Him, Because he cares for you. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Now just think about those couple of verses there with me for just a second. Peter is exhorting the church. You need to get humble. You need to practically humble yourself. And we've heard that before. But have you ever thought about what does it practically look like to humble myself? It sounds so kind of philosophical and theoretical. I don't know exactly what am I supposed to do. Peter tells you one of the main practical ways that you can humble yourself is you take the anxieties that are in your mind, in your heart, and by prayer, you cast them off of yourself and you give them to God. You say, God, this is above my pay grade. This is too hard for me. I can't handle this. I can't figure it out. I can't carry this burden. I give it to you. Because pride essentially is you taking responsibility for, I mean, this, this type of pride called worry, it's you taking responsibility for something God never intended you to take responsibility for. And Peter's saying, humble yourself, give it back to the Lord. The same phrase there, the idea of casting, that word there, your anxieties on the Lord, is the same word, I think it's in the Gospel of Luke, where when Jesus was doing the whole triumphal entry, you remember this? And it talks about they would take their coats off and cast them onto the donkey. Think, just even that mental image. If there's something burdening you, weighing you down, take it off of your heart. Take it off of your mind. Give it to the Prince of Peace and let him ride away with it. Leave it there. There are so many things in life we're not meant to handle. But we try to handle them on our own and they're crushing. Now, think about this. Imagine if you decided, you know what? I don't want to live on this side of town anymore. I'd like to move downtown. More where the excitement is. And you bought yourself a big lot down there. Maybe this is for your home or maybe an office building or something. And you got the foundation laid. And you were going to have one of these one-level homes. No stairs. You're sick of stairs. You're going to have this huge one-level home downtown, close to all the exciting things in downtown Mobile. But something in the zoning or the building code got mixed up. You went out of town for a while. You trusted the builder. And you came back. And somebody had come in and tried to build a 20-story hotel on the foundation that was laid for your one-level home. Now, I'm not a building contractor. I'm not an expert in all that type of engineering, but I'm pretty sure that's not going to work out well. At some point, the foundation will crack and the building will come down. And sometimes what happens to us in our sin of anxiety and worry is we're taking all these things on ourselves, trying to guarantee a certain outcome, and we can't guarantee a certain outcome, and it's crushing, it's overwhelming. Let me just give you two examples that may bring this home. Um, The school that my children go to, they do a fifth grade, I think it's in fifth grade, Washington, D.C. trip. Any of you parents or children been a part of a school 
Washington, D.C. trip. Uh, it's it, it's kind of fun to get to see some history in the Capitol. It's also a little overwhelming because I think some of these teachers feel guilty that the kids are basically getting a, a week-long paid vacation on the school's time. So they're like just driving into them. You got to take pictures of everything. You got to make a scrapbook. You got to like prove that you were there and you paid attention to all the tour guides. And it almost feels like they're putting the burden on these little kids back sometimes to rewrite the U.S. Constitution. Okay. And I remember we had been there. I was there with one of my young sons, fifth grade, and it was the very last day before we were supposed to leave the next day. And we'd been in some museum, and he'd been very diligent, taking all the pictures, writing down all the notes. And as we got on the bus to leave to go back to the hotel for the night, he realized I left my backpack with all the pictures and all my notes and all the brochures, all the stuff I was supposed to collect. I left it in the museum. And he comes to me in a panic with tears in his eyes. Dad, I've done all this work. What am I going to do? And in my mind, I'm thinking, as we were walking out, they were shutting the doors. They were closing it. And we're on a bus with six other buses. There's no way all the buses are going to turn back, even if we did. We can't get it tonight. But again, I'm thinking next tomorrow morning, worst case scenario, I'll wake up. I'll get a taxi. I'll go back. I'll get it. We'll, we'll figure it out. So I tell my son, don't worry about it, buddy. It's not a big deal. Well, it felt like a big deal to him. And at some level, my calmness... He did not interpret, as my dad is just so strong and wise, he's got this figured out. He interpreted it as, my dad doesn't care. So in the middle of the bus, he starts to cry more. He starts to get a little bit more loud. He starts to kind of want to get me and shake me. And I had to get down at his level, kind of on my knees, look him in the eye and say, listen, buddy, I love you. I care about you. I even care about your scrapbook. There's nothing we can do tonight. But I promise you, I'll handle it tomorrow. And when I kind of got down on his level, looked in his eyes, it spoke to him. He believed me. He wiped the little tears out of his eyes, and he went back to the back of the bus and started playing cards again with his friends. Guys, that's a good picture of what our time alone with the Lord in prayer and the Word ought to look like on a regular basis. I'm taking the anxieties off of my heart. God, there's so much going on with my family, with my job, with our finances. I feel overwhelmed. I can't do this. And I'm casting them on the Lord. And I'm like, he's got it. He's going to handle it. I don't have to do this anymore. And I can have a sense of freedom and go back to just doing my normal life. Guys, so much of the way that Satan... Did you notice in 1 Peter? He talks about Satan trying to devour Christians. Now, I think that's probably a verse because it kind of sounds kind of uh, extreme. Satan is going to chew up and spit out Christians. I remember hearing that verse from probably when I was in high school. And for years, if somebody would have said, you know that verse about Satan chewing up Christians? What's that in reference to? I think I would have probably said, I, probably something about maybe sexual sin. That's really bad. That really destroys a lot of lives. Maybe something about greed, money. That's the root of all kinds of evil, right? But did you notice what it comes in the context of? Of pride and worry. Anxiety can be the jaws of Satan that chew up your soul and ruin your relationship with God because you're not trusting him. So, and I'm speaking to myself as much as I'm speaking to all of us. Don't do it. Call worry what it is. It's a sin. And sometimes we try to say, you know, worry's not that big of a sin. It's kind of like a weak little helpless victim sin. Just imagine if you were in some kind of small group or accountability group. And one week, 
You know, everybody comes in and everybody's kind of talking about their sin. This is a vulnerable group. They're sharing their prayer request. And one guy says, I got to confess, I got drunk this weekend. I feel terrible. I feel embarrassed. But I, you say, well, that's, that's really terrible. Especially you're a deacon here at this church. That's really bad. And the next guy says, me and my wife got in a huge yelling match. It was terrible. I yelled. I screamed. I punched a hole in the wall. I said some really bad words. That's pretty bad. You sound like you need to go to counseling. And one guy just came in and said, been struggling with worry. What would we honestly think? We think, well, this guy's super spiritual. He didn't really deal with any sin. Right? What worry? I mean, is that even really a sin? I think that is part of Satan's strategy with us to just think this is a normal thing. It's a respectable sin. It's a domesticated white collar sin. If it's a sin at all, don't worry about it. And yet it can wreak havoc in our life. We've got to take it more seriously. So the first point is just this. Define worry as pride. It's a sin. The second point is this. What do you do with it? How do you defeat worry? Okay? If you want to defeat worry, the answer is prayer. Go back to Philippians 4. These simple verses, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. This is Paul doing the very same thing, in a sense, that Peter was doing. When you feel the worry jumping on your back, attacking you, cast it off through prayer. Talk to God about it. Okay? I want to give us an example uh, of somebody in the Bible doing this. So again, keep your finger in Philippians 4, but flip all the way back to Psalm chapter 3. And we could actually go to a lot of the different Psalms, especially of David. But I want to go to Psalm chapter 3. It's short. It's got some good context. And I want us to see what David was dealing with. Okay? This is a time where David's own son named Absalom was trying to kill David, trying to take over the kingdom. He started a civil war. And probably when this psalm was written was the night that David had run away from the city of Jerusalem as Absalom and the army had come in. And probably literally David is camped across the river and he might even been able to hear the sounds of the enemy army across the river. Maybe even seen the fire from their the smoke from their fire. That's how close they are. And look at how David is going to pray. Psalm chapter 3, starting verse 1. O Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him and God. Now think about that. They, they weren't just saying, we want to kill you. They're saying, God's taking his blessing away from you. Just like God took it away from King Saul, he's taken it away from you. It's not just we're going to physically kill you. You've been cast off by God. I mean, that, that'll cause you to worry. And so much of good prayer is just being honest with God. Not trying to be all put together. I was talking to a friend last night that's got a big decision to make. And he said, I just feel like I need a sign from God, but I don't want to be like Gideon asking for a fleece because that just seems like weak faith. And I was like, what's wrong with that? What if your faith is weak? There's a lot of times my faith is weak. It's better to be honest about it with God. Hey, Father, I'm struggling. i got weak faith down here. Than to try to act like you've got it all together in front of God. I mean, listen, so many of us try to put our best foot forward in front of other people. That's bad enough. Trying to do it in front of God is insane. Because he knows. There's no hiding. This is part of what made David such a godly man. Have you ever noticed this? When you read First and Second Samuel, kind of the historical books about David, he comes across like a, almost a superhuman person. I mean, yes, there's a couple of big bad sins. But other than that, David seems like he gets it right every time. 
He's godly, he's wise, he's confident, he's humble. Then you go read the Psalms, like we're about to do, that he wrote during that very same time, and he sounds like a middle schooler on the back of the bus crying to his daddy. That was the secret to his greatness. That was the secret to his strength. He was honest and he prayed like a raw, exposed nerve. Look at this. Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him and God. I mean, it sounds like he's panicking almost. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. So he's saying, God, I'm going to quit looking at the army. I'm going to quit looking at my son. I'm going to quit listening to all these hateful things they're saying about me. And I'm going to metaphorically get my eyes onto you through prayer, through meditation. I'm going to look at you. I'm going to pray to you. I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to cast my anxieties on you. And when he does that, he remembers God's the lifter of my soul. Part of what he's doing, part of what he's thinking is this, guys. Saul, I mean, excuse me. Yeah, Saul used to chase David. David had been in positions like this before. Many of us have probably heard the phrase, preach the gospel to yourself. You ever heard that phrase before? It's a great phrase. I'll give you a little addendum to go with it. Preach your own history to yourself. There's something very powerful when you're in a hard situation and you look back and you're like, you know what, I've been in a situation like this before. It looked really bad. It looked really bleak. But then fast forward, maybe it took a year or two. God delivered me. And when you remind yourself of these past times where God has come through for you, it'll have a sense of lifting your spirits. And that's what David's doing. Look at what he says next. I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Do you think you'd be able to get a good night's sleep if your own son and an army were camped across the river waiting to come kill you the next day? Guys... This is not fairy tale stuff. This is David starting in a place of panic, and through his prayer life, he got to a place of peace. And it was peace that was so real, he said, I'm going to lay down and take a nap. God's got this. I don't have to worry about it. This is real. This can change your life. Help your blood pressure too. Okay. Verse 7, arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked Basically, you, you shut their mouth. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessings be on your people. Guys, this ought to be part of our normal prayer life. Is I get before God, I'm very honest about the things that are causing me panic. But then in my prayers, I'm preaching truth to myself. I'm reminding myself of all the goodness of God, the stuff we sang about this morning. And by the end, there ought to be a real experience of peace. Listen, this is maybe the most helpful thing as I've, I've studied, especially this Philippians 4 passage has helped me. Worry is essentially a conversation with yourself about something you can't do anything about. Right? It's out of your hands. But it's like a little rat on the wheel in your brain. You're, you're just, you're fretting. You're worried. You're anxious. What am I going to do? I wish I'd done more. It's too late. What am I going to do? I don't know. I don't know. Just panicked. You know what prayer is? Prayer is a conversation with God about something he can do everything about. So the real key to fighting worry, guys, is this. Just bring God into the conversation. 
When you notice, whenever, laying in bed, driving down the road, wherever it is, that your mind is kind of spinning on something and you're anxious, you're fretting, you're worried, you feel a burden but you don't know what to do, just quit talking to yourself about it and start talking to God. Father, help me. Okay? Now, third point, displacing worry. Peace. Back to Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Do you remember there was a weird parable that Jesus told one time, at least it's weird to me, where he said, imagine that somebody had a demon and the demon got cast out. And in a sense, the person swept their heart and made their heart clean, so to speak. But they don't put anything else in their heart. You remember how this parable ends? The demon comes back and brings seven of his best friends. Basically, what he's saying is nature hates a vacuum. And if you have some sin in your life, and by God's grace, you're able to repent, that's great. But if you don't fill that place in your life with something positive, it's just a matter of time before you'll return to the same sin, maybe even something worse. Some of us could give some great testimonies about this personally, couldn't we? And this is true with worry. If you fight one area of worry really hard, but you don't learn to experience God's peace, you'll fall back into it. Now, back to Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Okay? Verse 6 is a command. It's something we are supposed to do. Look at it. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything let your request be made known to God. Don't talk to yourself in worry. Talk to God in prayer. But then look at verse 7. It's a promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If you will pray like this, God promises you peace will come. Peace will be like a bouncer standing outside of the door of your heart saying, no worry, no fretting. No anxiety. You don't get led into this club. Only peaceful thoughts. Now, sometimes you might be worrying about something, and maybe it's rather small. Maybe you think about these verses, you say a quick prayer, and the worry just goes away like a magic trick. I've had that happen before. But I don't know about you, but I've also had it happen where I might pray for an hour about something because it's such a big deal. And an hour later, I still don't feel much peace. You ever been there? God doesn't want to be treated like a Coke machine God. Here's what I mean. How much intimacy do you have with a Coke machine? Virtually none. You walk up to the Coke machine, you put your dollar bill in, you push the button, it gives you your Coke, and you walk away. You don't even say thanks to the Coke machine, nor should you. It's inanimate, okay? (laughs) But if it was a clerk at a store, you, you might say thanks to them. But again, there's no real friendship. There's no real experience. When's the only time, so to speak, that you get intimate with a Coke machine is when it doesn't give you what you want. And then I'm going to kick and scream and hit and maybe bear hug it and shake it. And there are times that Father God in His wisdom will delay an answer to our prayers, even though something He's promised to say, come closer. I want more time with you. Listen, if you have children that are 16 and up, especially if they're off in college or something like that, don't parents kind of do this sometimes? Hey, Dad, I need to come get some money. Well, how about we hang out for a little bit? How about we go to lunch? How about we sit down and have a conversation? It's not a bad thing. You're not trying to hold out. You just want more from the child. 
And sometimes that's what God is doing with us. He doesn't want us to just treat him like a butler. He wants to be treated like a father, like a best friend. So um, let me give a personal example from my own life. Okay, Justin made mention, you know, campus outreach staff, you, you raise your whole support package. All your salary benefits the whole nine yards. There are blessings in that. At times, there also seem to be curses. Okay? One of the hardships is sometimes, this has happened to me a handful of times, been on staff 24 years. You get to December, it's the end of the year, and you're looking at the numbers, and it's like there's not enough money to cover everything. You're in the red. And you have called everybody you know. You've sent out the emails, sent the texts, sent out the newsletters, done everything, the special appeals. Anybody want to double up this year? You've done everything you can know how to do, and the money's still not coming in. And I've been there before. And, and I don't tend to struggle with worry a lot, but that can do it. That can get me there. So much so that it almost feels like there's a heavy burden on my back. You ever had that kind of worry? That you can almost tangibly feel it. And my wife, she knows me well. She can see it in my face. Even if I'm trying to put my best foot forward with her, she knows it. We go, but I'm like, I got this. You don't worry, honey. I'll handle it. Which is like, that's, maybe that sounds like a good husband. Didn't always work that way, you know, as a Christian. And I go to bed, and literally sometimes as I'm worried about this, what am I going to do? I feel like I've been faithful. I feel like I've done everything. I don't know. I might even be sweating. I can't go to sleep. And then this old verse comes to mind, and I start praying. Once again, it's not always instantaneous. I might have to persevere in prayer for a half hour, an hour, or longer. But at some point, guys, and this is part of what I love about the Bible, God's real. His word is true. When he has made us a promise, there is a right way. It's not arrogant. It's actually humble to go to him and say, God, you made me a promise. I need you to keep it. I'm trying to put all my faith in you. I'm trying to pray. I'm trying to cast my anxieties onto you. It doesn't feel like it's working. There's a humble way. Why? Because that's not putting your best foot forward. That's being desperate. That's being honest like David was. And guys, I'm telling you, I've been there and you persevere in prayer. And at some point, the peace will come. It's, it surpasses understanding. It doesn't always make sense. But it's experiential. It washes over you. So much so, just keep going with this same example, that I've woken up sometimes the next morning and my wife has looked at me and I've got kind of a spring in my step, maybe a smile on my face, and she can tell. And she's like... What happened? Did, did somebody call and give us some more support? I'm like, nope. She's like, well, well, why are you so happy? Did you figure out what we're going to do? I'm like, I didn't figure out anything. She's like, well, why is your mood changing? Now she's going to start worrying. She's like, if you're not worried about it, I'm about to start worrying. And I say, you know what happened? I got my eyes off myself. I got my eyes back onto the king of the universe who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And the other thing is I, part of the way I did that in my prayer, I meditated and I reminded myself, you know what? We've been doing this 20 plus years. We've had other years like this, but by God's grace, we've never gone hungry. We've never missed a meal, right? We've had too many extra meals. We're doing fine. God loves us. He's going to provide for us. And the peace is real. You don't always have to have the answer. So much of it is trusting God that he does have your best in mind. And just a couple more thoughts by way of conclusion, okay? Because some of you here may be listening and saying, that's nice, thank you 
for sharing your struggles in December with a little bit of finances that didn't work out just right. But what I'm dealing with is a lot hard, a lot more difficult, going through a horrible divorce, painful, embarrassing, public. Some of you say, yeah, thanks for the story, you know, of, of prayers that got answered in one day or something. I've been dealing with a child that's been breaking my heart for 20 plus years now. This doesn't seem to work. Some of you may be really new in the faith and you said that whole thing about preach your own history to yourself. I don't know that I have any great stories like King David did of how God delivered me in the past. And here's what I'd say to all of us. If you're a Christian, if you have put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, part of what that means is His history is your history. And... Sometimes we might go through situations where we say, this feels like hell on earth. But literally, there was only one time where somebody literally experienced hell on earth. And that was the Lord Jesus Christ. Going to the cross, knowing that he was going to have to drink the cup of his father's wrath for all his people's sins. Didn't want to do it. Knew how bad it was going to be. But he didn't shrink back. And on the cross, at his worst moment, you know, we just got to sing that wonderful song, I Am Not Forsaken. You know how we can sing that so confidently and boldly, even with all our ongoing sin? is because the Lord Jesus Christ was forsaken in our place. Now, if anything will make you worry, if there's anything you should worry about, it's that. But in that moment, how did Christ get through it? He prayed. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And even that prayer was a meditation on the Psalms. He was meditating on God's Word. He was preaching truth to himself. And guys, before he died, he got to a place of peace. Do you remember one of the last things he said? Into thy hands I commit my spirit. I'm giving this to you, Father. I'm trusting you. And it worked. He rose from the dead in our place. So here would be my last thought, guys. If this pattern of being honest with the Father about the things that are tempting us to worry through prayer, through meditation, could give the Lord Jesus Christ peace on earth when He was literally experiencing hell on earth for us, then all the smaller little hardships we go through, no matter how bad they are, if we'll persevere in prayer, The Father will bring peace. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. We love you so much, and yet we don't love you enough. Help us be more thankful. Help us be more grateful. Help us be more humble. Help us be more filled with peace by your Spirit. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.